thank you, David, for coming today. Uh, Gideon's is such a great ministry. My first exposure to the Gideon's, I think I was about the third grade, and Gideon's came to my school and gave everyone in our class one of those New Testaments. And uh, I, I don't remember the timing, but I think that may have been the first Bible that I had other than a, a, ch a children's Bible with the pictures and all of that. And anyway, it made a big impression on me. I still remember to this day that Gideon being there and speaking to us and giving us those Bibles. And uh, I don't know if you guys are allowed to do that anymore or not, but some places... Uh, uh, where I grew up, they were still doing that, and it, it had a huge impact on me. And uh, later, when I worked in the hotels, when I was in college, we had Bibles in all of those rooms, and uh, one of those Bibles uh, I read quite frequently, and it's just a tremendous ministry to place Bibles where people are going to find them in time of crisis and need, and so I, I think it's a great, great ministry, and I'd encourage you to, to pray about supporting them in, in one way or another. Well, today we're beginning a new sermon series, and it's titled, Unashamed... Of the gospel and the gospel is the good news that's literally what the word means gospel it's the good news about Jesus and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of believers today or I don't really know exactly what they believe but there's a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians that that really truly by their own words and their own actions are ashamed to speak of the gospel they want to live in a world of tolerance where everything's accepted and everything is okay. But the good news about Jesus Christ is that he has brought us a way of salvation. The bad news is there is no other way of salvation. And Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, where we're going to be going through the next three weeks here, Paul devoted his entire life to communicating this message to people, to helping people understand that Jesus had come according to God's promises and he had made it possible for them to be saved from their sin. Paul's entire life was devoted to this. You know, as I think about how we live, all of us have goals, all of us have priorities, and all of us have interests. We have things that we love. And every single one of us, there's, there's something that we spend our life doing, whether it's accumulating wealth or status, prestige in our job, an image, whatever it might be, people devote themselves to all kinds of different things. And, well, it works until it doesn't. The, the problem with having a lot of wealth, the problem with having great looks, the problem with having a very prestigious job is that it can give you a false sense of security. It's like having a, it's like having a burglar alarm in your house, but you don't realize it's not actually connected to anything. When you need it, it's too late to figure out that it doesn't work. And I... And I there's just so many times I wish I could, I could help people because I've seen where their actions are leading. I've sat in the office with so many couples that went down a certain path and, and now they're trying to figure out how to fix it or if it even can be fixed. I see people who've wrecked themselves with drugs and I see people who've just destroyed their future because they, they've, they've never lived within their means and they, they're just a financial wreck. And I wish sometimes I could just speak into their life and they would listen, but, but many of us have to learn things the hard way. And the, the problem is, is that oftentimes by the, by the time that we realize that we've poured our entire life into something that either ultimately doesn't work or ultimately doesn't really matter, well, a lot of times it's, it's too late to really change anything about that. So many people live and die with regret. Because at the end of their life, when they look back, they realize that they wasted so many opportunities. They wasted so many resources. They devoted themselves to things that really ultimately do 
not matter. But friend, what I want to tell you today is that whether you can understand this or not, there's nothing more important that we could center our life around than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's more timeless, more powerful, and more effective than the good news of what Jesus Christ can do for a person. And for most people, even if they believe it, it's not a priority. But Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God. And see, I believe that once we come to the point in our life that we believe the message and we receive it, out of gratitude and worship to God, this ought to be at the very center of our life. And the passage that we're looking at today talks about for the sake of his name, that is Jesus' name, that God is calling us to lift him up among all the nations. And so Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read this together? The Bible says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, the first century letters began with the author, so Paul is the writer here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to understand what Paul was writing about as he describes his ministry. And Lord, I pray that it would move us, move us to change, move us to a different way of living, that we might be completely reoriented around the proclamation of the gospel. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I truly believe that our entire life needs to be oriented around the gospel. That is, that that becomes our central priority. Now, one of the ways that you can find out what your priorities truly are is to let two things conflict on the calendar. And that's how you'll find out what your priorities are. One of the ways you can find out what your priorities are is to have more bills than you can pay. You'll pay the ones that are most important to you. Hopefully, you keep the lights on and the house payment made. But there's a lot of luxuries we can let go. When things conflict, that's when we discover what our true priorities are. And I believe that there comes time in our life when we have to make a choice between doing more in our career playing more sports, having more leisure, having more extra money. we got to make a choice between all these different things and advancing the gospel. And I'm, I'm not here to tell you that any of those things are bad. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong. We all need money to live. And there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. You need a stress relief. I think God gives us room for leisure. I have hobbies. I understand all these. I'm talking about what's the number one priority in our life. You know, you can, your kids can play sports and you can still love Jesus. It's the issue of priority. And Paul's number one priority was to, was 
proclamation, that is the, the proclaiming, the teaching, the spreading, the communicating, the sharing of the gospel message because he believed this and he understood it. You know, when you understand that there's an urgent need and you believe it with all your heart, it will move you to action. Nobody would walk outside and see their neighbor's house on fire and not call 911 or go over and scream and see if there's anybody in the house. Because you believe it's on fire. You believe they're in danger. And when we come to the point that we truly believe that unless people receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they have no hope in eternity, when we get to that point in our life, it should drive us to want to see the church grow and the church advance and new people come to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It creates an urgency within us that our whole life becomes centered around the communication of the gospel. How are people going to know unless we, unless we tell them? And so Paul, this is his life, and Paul says in verse 1, Paul, and I want you to notice how he describes himself, a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. You know, it doesn't sound very appealing, the idea of becoming a servant. But when we understand who he is and who we are, that's our role. He died for us. And if he died for us, surely we can live for him. Paul was a man who served the Lord. He served the Lord with his life. He served the Lord with how he lived. And that's part of what it means to be a Christian. It means to serve the Lord. We become a servant of his. So that, that we understand that, that our role is, is not to be in control. Our role is not to make all the plans. But our role is to serve. Paul was a servant. Part of Paul's service now was being an apostle. That's the specific calling that God had for Paul. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, none of us here today are called to be apostles. I mean, we're, we're past the first century in the early establishment of the church. None of us are called to be Old Testament prophets. We're past that era in God's salvation history. But God has a calling for each and every one of us. And it's, it's different. It's different. And so our calling is not to be an apostle, but we do have a calling from God. That is, there's something that God uniquely gifted us to do, uniquely designed us to do, and, and called us to do. I, mean, I don't have any doubts in my mind that God called me to be a pastor. I mean, God, God gifted me for it. God uh, put me in the places that I needed to be to get training. And I don't have any doubt that God has called me to this place at this time to be the pastor of First Baptist Madisonville right now in this moment. I believe that, I know that with all my heart. This is where I'm supposed to be. And if you seek God, it's, it's, not, it's not a simple thing. It doesn't happen in a day. But if you seek God and you ask to know his will, God will slowly reveal to you what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go and how he wants you to serve. And, and it's going to be different for all of us. I was in the Tennessee and I, I planted a church and we, we had this uh, annual retreat with our association. And uh, there was a man from uh, a larger church. He was, a, he was a, a college student helping in the youth ministry. And he was asking me about our youth ministry. And he says, he says, well, do you have any guys called to service? And I, and I said, you mean vocational ministry? And he says, yeah, you got any guys that have called out to vocational ministry? And I said, no. I said, we've not had anybody called to vocational ministry this year. And he says, well, we've had, it was a really, really big church he was attending he says, we've had, we've had 10 people called to vocational ministry. He said, well, you just, you just stay at it. Just stay at it, 
and, and, and somebody, somebody will be called to ministry, and it'll start then and then one after another. And I, and I said, young man, I said, it is not God's will for everybody to be called into vocational ministry. And it's not the goal of our ministries to, to try to convince people they're called. God has a different calling for everybody. If we're going to count anything, we need to count the people that come to faith in Christ and accept them. And you can't even count the ministry based on that because there's a million other things that happens in the lives of people as they grow in the faith. But God has a different calling for everybody. We've got to get out of this mentality that there's missionaries and then there's pastors and then, well, there's just everybody else. God has a different calling for all of us, and it's necessary for all of us to fulfill that different calling in order for the church to function as it should. You know, a car's got a whole lot of different parts, and you've got to have every part to make the car run. And God has given us different gifts, different abilities, and put us at different places in our life. And Paul described this in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 17. He's talking about the physical body, and he's using the body as a metaphor to explain how the church works. And so here's what he says. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul says that if, 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 everyone, if, if everyone was an eye, if you've got an eye and that's all you got, you don't have a body. And if you've got a preacher and that's all you got, you don't have a church. You've got to have all these different gifts and all these different callings. And so we need to get the point in our life that like Paul knew what his calling was, he said, I'm a servant of Christ called to be an apostle. And we need to look in our heart and say, God, what have you gifted me to do? What have you called me to do? And I believe that if you seek, you'll find. And sometimes it's a lot of effort and it takes a lot of work. When God called me to the ministry, I didn't know what kind of ministry. I went through a season of trying to discover, trying to figure out. And I did student ministry and then I was a youth minister. I mean, I was a music minister. And, uh, and after failing at both of those, I realized that's not it. And so process of elimination, I found one thing that I could do. I could talk to people. And so I realized, well, God must be calling me to be a pastor. There was a little more to it than that. I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention. But you, you, have to, you have to work at it sometimes to figure out what it is that God is calling you to do. But we find our place, and then we serve in that place. Paul was also set apart for the gospel. Notice what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and then notice this, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart. To be set apart, this is the concept of holiness. In the Bible, holiness means two different things. There's two aspects of it. There's two sides of the same coin, if you will. There's a holiness in the sense of moral purity. And then there's holiness in the sense of being set apart for God's service. And so you got the, the articles that were made for the temple and for the tabernacle. They, 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 they can't commit sin. There's inanimate objects. And so there's no moral sense there, but they were holy because they were set apart only to be used in the temple. And Paul said that God has called him to this life of holy living. He has been set apart for this purpose. His purpose was for the gospel of God. And I believe that every single one of us who have believed the gospel have been set apart for this purpose. We all have a different role in how we proclaim the gospel, 
but all of us have been set apart for this work. And there's coming a time when everything that seems important right now will no longer matter and a lot of it will no longer even exist. All of this wealth that some of us are accumulating, we're not going to take one penny of it with us. All these people that we're concerned about what they think about us, they're not even going to remember who we are by the time it's time for our funeral. There's so many things that we think are so important and, and, and they're, they're never going to matter in the end. You know, I think about uh, a few years ago, we had a, a men's a conference in Atlanta, and Dennis Swanberg came, and he's a Christian comedian, and I think he's absolutely hilarious. And I brought one of my students, and we were riding home, and I said, and I said, we were talking about all the jokes he had said, and, and I, said, I said to the student, I said, Randy, I said, what do you think? He says, I don't get it. I said, what do you mean you don't get it? The guy's hilarious. He said, Pastor, I didn't know who a single person was that he mentioned. He said, I had heard of Billy Graham. That's the only person I ever heard of. And Dennis had made all these jokes about all these movies, most famous people in the world, but just one generation later, he didn't even know who those people were. Never even heard their names. You know what that means? That means that we're all worried about so many things that just don't matter. But when we set ourselves apart for the gospel, there'll never be a time that the gospel doesn't matter. There'll never be a time when the gospel can't change people's lives. This is the most important thing in all of eternity. And Paul said he was set apart for this service. He was set apart for the service of the gospel. Peter, 1 Peter, this is what he wrote about the gospel. He explained it this way. He said, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then he skipped down to verse 25, and it says, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news is that Jesus has died for us so that we can be saved. The good news is that he came and lived a sinless life, the thing that we could not do, and he died in our place. John 3.16 encapsulates it this way. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And friend, God has set us apart as witnesses to this. One of the last things Jesus said on earth, Acts 1.8, listen to what he said to his disciples. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He said, you will be my witnesses. God has set us apart for this purpose, to help other people understand and hear the message. Not all of them will receive it. If only it were that simple that we could just say the message and they would receive it. They'll not all receive it, but it's our job to make sure that they all hear it. Now, that's, that's why we broadcast on radio and television that's why guys from our church go to the jail. That's why Tyler goes all over the community handing out tracts. That's why we have Vacation Bible School. That's why we do all the things that we do to try to pass the message of the gospel along to another generation, along to others who have not yet heard. And God has called us to this, and he has set us apart for this. And it needs to be the number one priority in our life. 
You see, when we commit ourselves to the gospel, we're joining something that's older than time. The Bible says in verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But listen to this, what he says about the gospel. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets. Jesus didn't just come along and, and all of a sudden have an accident with the Jews and the Romans. He's not a victim. There was never a time like toward the end of Israel's history that God got together with the Son and, and the Spirit and said, yeah, well, that didn't work. What are we going to do now? Let's, play and be, let's send Jesus. This was the plan from the very beginning. And when we think about joining the gospel, the good news, when we think about orienting our life around sharing this information, we, 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 are, we are a part of something that is older than time. Most things come and go. I don't know if you've studied much history and know a lot about some of the great empires of the world, but and the Roman Empire, what an incredible influence they had. It's, just, it's hard to even calculate the, the wealth, the power in their heyday. Yet today, they're just a history lesson. Just one more list along those empires, the Medes, the Persians, Greeks, and the United States, as, as much as we might love this country, well, if you want to put that in perspective, you get, get a map, get a timeline that goes back through the history of the Bible, and you'll see that, that, that uh, one of my members in Atlanta had one unfolded, it, and it laid out all the empires of the world and lined them up with the biblical history, and down at the very end, there was a little spot about this big on the edge. And that was for the 200 years that America has existed. We've not been around very long. But the gospel has been around since before the beginning of time. And when you commit yourself to the gospel, you're committing yourself to something that is older than time itself. Paul said that this was promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. You know, one of the reasons that God tells us ahead of time what he's going to do is so that we can believe when he does it. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 14, 28. He said, you've heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And uh, verse 29, listen to what he says about why he told them this. He says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it takes place, you may believe. Jesus said, I'm telling you what I'm going to do so that when I do it, you'll know. And so God revealed beforehand through the prophets. We go back and we read Isaiah, and I think about Isaiah 53 that, that describes the crucifixion in such detail. It's like reading a gospel account after the fact. God foretold what he was going to do so that you and I could have faith and believe. And you say, Pastor, do you, do you, do you really believe that, that Jesus is going to come again? I do, with all my heart. I look back through history, and God's done everything else he ever said he would ever do. So why would I ever doubt that he's going to continue to keep his promise? This gospel was proclaimed beforehand so that we might know and so that we might believe. First Peter, Peter described it this way. He says about Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who 
raised him from the dead so that your faith and hope are in God. So this is the message that we need to reorient our entire life around. And Jesus, the thing that we've learned from Paul is that Jesus must become the Lord of our life. We love to talk about Jesus being our Savior, but he must also be our Lord. That is, he directs and guides our life. Listen to verses 3 through 4, what Paul wrote. He said, concerning his son, who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared with, to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord. Do you know that Jesus is fully man? Paul talks about this in verse 3. He said, concerning his son who descended from David according to the flesh. Galatians 4.4, listen to what the Bible says about Jesus there. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Matthew 1.18, Matthew describes the birth of Jesus. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus was, was born uh, of a woman. He didn't have an earthly father, but he had an earthly mother. He is fully, fully man. And not only is Jesus fully man, but he came as an heir of the promise of David. Notice what he said. Paul said, who descended from David according to the flesh. The reason that's so significant is because God made a promise to King David and he kept it through Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13 tells us about this promise. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, he's talking to David now, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And Jesus came and established his kingdom forever. But he's not only fully man, he's also fully God. And so Paul would say in verse 4, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus our Lord. If there was any doubts about who Jesus was when he rose from the dead, it erased all doubts in the minds of those that accepted and believed him. It's because Jesus has rose from the dead that we know this was the Holy Spirit's testimony to his deity that God raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us about Thomas. You know, the disciples, Thomas was a cynic. He doubted. And so the, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to some of the disciples. And Thomas says, I, he says, I, I'm just not going to believe it. He says, I'm not going to believe it until I can, I can see the scars. And I, I want to I take my hand and stick it in his side where they thrust that spear in him. Now, I don't think Thomas really meant that. What he was telling them was that he just did not believe there was any possible way that Jesus had risen from the dead. He did not believe. But the Bible tells us in John 20, verse 26, this is eight days later, that is eight days after Thomas had, had heard from the disciples that they had seen Jesus. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Oh, the Lord knew everything that Thomas had said. Because he's fully God. He's all-knowing. And listen how Thomas responded to him. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. When we begin to understand that Jesus is not just fully man, but he's also fully God. And, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, declared this with power when he raised him from the dead. Then when we understand that and believe that, there's no other place for Jesus in our life except as Lord. And that's why Thomas, when he, when he understood this, he responded. He said, my Lord and my God. Verse 29, listen to what Jesus said to Thomas. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Now listen to this. This is about you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed it's us it's us i didn't i didn't get to stick my hand in his side and i don't want to either i believe and jesus said blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and so we live we live for the sake of his name listen to verses five through seven what it says here through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You see, our mission in life, our mission is life change. That, that, that's the ultimate mission of the gospel is to see somebody come to obedience to the faith. That is, they totally reorient their way of living around hearing from God and obeying him. That's why Paul says to bring about the obedience of faith. We're not just asking people to raise their hand or to claim that they are with Jesus or to wear a cross or put a fish on their car. We're calling people to totally radically change their life so that they stop living for themselves and start living for him. This is the, this is the mission of the gospel, to bring about life, change. Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, he said, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore... And, and listen to what he says, and make disciples. Now that, that's the commission, to actually make disciples. Not, not just to convert people to identifying as Christians, but to actually make disciples. That is, people who follow after Jesus. In verse 20 he said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So our mission is, is life change, to see people's lives radically transformed from the way they used to live to the way that God wants them to live. And our mission is to uphold the reputation of Jesus. That's what it means when it says, for the sake of his name. You say, well, how are we going to uphold the reputation of Jesus? Well, how did you hear about Jesus? I, I heard because there was a church in my community. My parents took me, and I heard the message. The Gideons gave me a Bible. I, that's how I heard. People told me. People poured into me. And I, I don't believe the church is ever any risk of, of going away because it's the Lord's church. 
and we can all be silent. We can burn this building down. We can do whatever we want to do. We can't stop what the Lord wants to do. He'll just raise up somebody else who will be faithful. But I want you to understand that all it would take for the church to go away is for one more generation to have never heard and never know. So God's calling us to proclaim the name of Jesus so that others might hear and others might know. And I believe that it begins with our family, it spreads to the people around us, to our workplace, and to our community. I'll tell you, my kids, my kids all love Jesus today. They really do. You don't know why? Because we raised them in church. And we modeled it for them. We made it a priority in our life. And they understand that if we ever come a time that we have to choose between anything and Jesus, they're not going to have to ask. That choice is going to be made. We showed them. There's kids back in Atlanta that now they're in college and they're in high school. And they know Jesus. Because my wife and I poured into their families and we, and we, we shared and we talked and we got them in Bible study. And we led them to where they are today. One little girl in our community uh, came and became very active in the church. And she's a cheerleader at the high school now. And one of the other boys uh, was telling me, he said, said, yeah, he said, she's known at school as a little Christian girl. There's all kinds of girls there that claim to be Christian, but they know she's for real. She's for real. That's what this mission is about. It's about life change. And this life change comes from proclaiming the name of Jesus so that people might hear and that people might know. We pour ourselves into other people because in the end, it's the only thing that matters. And our mission is global. It's not just local. Listen to verse 5, what he says. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You see what it says, among all the nations. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And listen to the strategy that the Lord gave us. He said, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's a city. And in Judea, that's the region around that city. And Samaria, that's the region north of Judea. He's moving concentrically out. He says, you begin where you are and you move out and you take the gospel everywhere. I don't think I've ever been in a church that didn't get criticized for missionary work. There's always somebody that says, Pastor, there's so many people in need right here. Why are we going to go on a mission trip? And if, if the disciples had stayed in Jerusalem until everybody in Jerusalem was saved, the gospel never would have went anywhere. It's just not God's plan. And that's why we do missions. That's why we give to send missionaries all over the world. That's why we are sponsoring these churches in, in Indianapolis. They, they'll, they'll probably never do anything for us. That's not going to help us some, in some way. This gospel, this is why that we're, as an association, trying to build this training center for pastors in Thailand. We'll never benefit from that in any way. Doesn't matter how much money we pour in, how many times we go, how much we get. We'll, they're, they're not coming over here to, to, to help us pastor. They're not going to send us money to fix the roof. It's never going to benefit us in any way. But you see, that's how lost people think. Lost people think, what's in it for me? What's in it for us? And when we reorient our life around the gospel, we need to come to the point in our life when we say, what's in it for Jesus? 
And when we understand that this mission is, is, is global, of helping people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can commit ourselves to finding our place in that and living out our calling that we might be set apart, just like Paul was for the gospel, for the sake of his name. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you've saved us. And what I pray that you'd help us understand what you want us to do in the world. I don't want to waste any time in my life going through the motions or just pleasing people. So God, help us all to be devoted to the one thing that ultimately matters, the message about what your son has done for us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, today we've been talking about what Christians uh, are to do with this message. But maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You see, here's the good news. The good news is that even though that every single one of us have sinned against God, God came. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life that none of us have done. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I look out and I see faces I've never seen. I don't know your name. I don't know a thing about you. But I just know from reading the Bible that you've sinned just as I have. We all have the same problem. And there's only one solution. The only solution is to accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, when he died, he died so that you could be saved. And right now this morning, if you'll make a decision to give your life to him and follow him, your life can be forever change for all eternity and so I want to ask you if you've never made that decision before when we begin to sing would you just step out of your seat and meet me here at the front I'd love to pray with you and help you come to that point in your faith for those of us here today are believers and I suspect that's most of us you know what I've discovered throughout the years you don't have to do anything to drift if you've ever been out on a boat, all you got to do is pull up the anchor and you'll drift one way or another. And that's the same way in the Christian life. All we got to do is take our eyes off God's Word. All we got to do is get distracted for just a little bit, become apathetic, and we'll just drift farther and farther away from what God has called us to do. If you can honestly say today that you're, just, you're, you're not in a place where you used to be spiritually, can I encourage you just to talk to the Lord? Ask him to help you repent and get to where he can use you as his vessel to see people come to faith in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not a member of this church, but you'd like to be. You know, the only thing you have to do to become a member of this church is profess your faith in Christ. We were upstairs a minute ago and I just baptized Daniel and he said, what do you have to do to be a member? And I said, you just did it, buddy. You just did it. Maybe you're here today and you're a member of another church. And you decide this is the place for you. We'd love for you to come and join and be a part. But I'll tell you, I believe that God is at work here. And I believe God has a calling for us here. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. So whatever you need to do, let's do it right now as we sing. Let's stand together.